Good morning, everyone. This is Pastor Troy Bond with the Raven Institute of Ministry and Biblical Studies. Coming to you live from our studios right here in Daytona Beach, Florida. Good to have everyone here today for another installment of the Raven Institute. If you are joining us for the very first time, this is the Raven Institute of Ministry and Biblical Studies, which is a ministry of Raven Ministries International. If you want more information on Raven Ministries International, we encourage you to go to our website, which is located at www.biggrace.com www.biggrace.com and you can get more information on the uh, the ministry of Raven Ministries International. You know a lot said right there in, in that name, Big Grace. We believe that we're living in the hour of big a big divine influence upon our heart and a big opportunity to reflect Him in our lives, which is the, the, the definition of that Greek word for grace. And you know what? God wants to influence us in a powerful way. And one of the ways that He influences us is through the study of His Word. And so the sufficiency of grace comes really in the realization of it and the reflection of it comes as we get into God's Word. You know, we know that we're saved by grace through faith. It's not a... Uh, uh, it's a free gift of God, lest any man should boast. And we're created, he goes on to say, unto good works. And so, but grace comes through faith, and faith comes from hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And so, if we want big grace to be in our life, we've got to have big Word to go in our life in order to, to catch it. And so, that's kind of what, like, the, the study of the Word is, folks. It's kind of like a sail on a ship. You know, the bigger the sail, the bigger the push. And so if I've got just a little dinky sail and I'm trying to push a great big ship, it's not going to go anywhere. But if I really fill myself with God's Word, it becomes like just opening up the main sail on a ship. And I really encourage you to get into the Word of God and allow it to become the main sail of your life. And allow it to be the thing that just uh, holds everything up. You know, it's one thing to have a mast raised. In other words, to have a, a pole raised up with a little flag on top declaring that I'm a believer. But what happens when we study the Word of God and we know Him in a more intimate way? It does. It, it opens up that, that, that kind of proverbial main cell and allows us to catch everything that God wants to do. And so if you're, you're limited your time on really, and I'm not talking about just reading the Bible. I'm talking about studying the Bible uh, to the degree of wanting to know Him in a more deep, deep way and not studying it to, to hear what you want to hear, but uh, to study the Word of God to hear what He is saying. And there's a big difference between that. There's a lot of people that study in order to validate uh, some preconception that they may have, and so they just kind of cherry-pick uh, what's happening through the Scripture. But if you'll get into the Word of God and say, God, speak to me, it's like that main sun. It's going to give a, a direction to your life because we know that the Word of God is sharp and powerful. It's sharper than a, any two-edged sword. It's the discerner of the thoughts and even the intents of a man's heart. So it reveals the hidden things in our heart and life and allows us to be driven by the wind, quote-unquote, of the Spirit of God. And so I really encourage you, if you're, uh, if you're just joining us, uh, we're all about investing in people, the Word, in order for them to walk in uh the, the total, uh, the, the really the, the, the fullness of what God has for them in their heart and life. So thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, if you have questions about the program, uh, you can send those questions to us at raven at biggrace.com, raven at biggrace.com. Or if you have prayer requests, uh, don't hesitate to send those to pray at biggrace.com. We'd like to lift those prayer requests up to you uh, and up to the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, we've got some exciting times coming. 
uh, you know, we're entering into another season. So you say, man, these guys are always entering these seasons. Absolutely, seasons of fasting and prayer. Uh, about to enter into another extended period, kind of in preparation for some things that are going to come up. Uh, uh, for myself and Pastor Scott and some others, we're going to be traveling to the nation of Turkey. And it's a nation that, you know, we talked about in the past that these seven churches of Asia Minor, that these, this letter, this revelation was addressed to in the first uh, three chapters. Uh, we're going to be right there in the place where, where John saw these things transpire. Uh, there at uh, uh, Smyrna, there at uh, Ephesus and, and Pergamos and these places that we're, we're reading about here. We're going to be actually walking those same areas that Paul did, preaching to a nation that is now uh, over 97% Muslim. And so you can just see the tremendous opportunity we have to go back in and, and try to take some ground for the kingdom of heaven. I, you know, what's going to happen? Well, it depends on if people pray. It depends on people seek Him. I believe God can bust that thing wide open just like He did before and, and cause revival to come to a nation even that adheres to or thinks that they adhere to the teachings of, of, of Islam. So pray for us. We're going to be praying and fasting, believing God for a tremendous uh, outpouring in that land of the Bible, so to speak. And so pray for us, and, and we'll be praying for your needs as well. Not only that, we got a lot of things happening here locally. If you're listening to us live, uh, uh, our Daytona Bike Week will be back on the streets all this coming week and weekend, uh, ministering to those that come to this event. Nearly a half million uh, motorcycle enthusiasts come into our city. Then we got several weeks of spring breakers coming in, uh, culminating in BCR, which is a, called Black College Reunion. Uh, typical black, uh, uh, traditional black universities. A lot of them come together for a, a spring break time. Then we'll be heading into uh, Turkey. And in May, uh, invite you to come out. We're going to be holding uh, outreach in Philadelphia uh, with Raven Philly hitting the streets there Memorial Day weekend. If you want information on any of those events, once again, go to our website, biggrace.com, and you can pick up some information on there. If you need to call, There's our number is there on the website, too. Love to talk to you, answer your questions. But any questions, raven at biggrace.com, prayer request, pray at biggrace.com. We'd love to lift those things up to the Lord Jesus Christ. But once again, thanks for joining us. Uh, again, we're, on, we're going to be on Lesson 50. What is it, 59 today? 59 in our study on the Revelation. In this sense, we're doing an expository teaching, verse by verse, of the Revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ, or the unveiling. And, you know, we, we went 18 chapters, 18 and a part of 19, leading up to this point. Why? We're studying the unveiling. Folks, we're about to see that unveiling. We're about to see the, the, what's going to happen when the, the literal uh, return of the Lord Jesus Christ comes at his... Uh, uh, at the second advent or when he comes and puts his feet down upon the Mount of Olives. And so we get to see that happening here in verses 11 through 16 today. And so, if, But if you've missed our previous classes, we're making those available on our website for free download by going to biggrace.com. Click on Raven Institute. The first 43 are already up there for you and the rest will be up there uh, shortly. Uh, but if you want those, download them for free. Listen to them right on the site. Or if you want to study our, our Romans teaching. Uh, folks, listen, there I called it when we were doing the book of Romans, the Magna Carta of the New Testament. If you want just a thorough understanding of the Word of God and, and something that's going to help you through that, go and download or listen to those 197 hours of teaching on the book of Romans. I do not think you'll be dis, uh, disappointed. There's sections on there that I believe that just what God spoke to us during that study, this will blow you away. And uh, I know it did me, and I'm sitting there getting it as you're getting it. And uh, But I encourage you to go and grab hold of it. If you've listened to it before, go back and listen.
listening, you'll find that you probably missed some things that God will speak to you in that time. So let's go to the Lord in prayer today. Just ask for His blessing on today's uh, study, just His direction. And that not, not that this revelation will just be a, uh, words on a printed page or highlighted with our highlighting pen, but it will be something that we have uh, grabbing hold of, that we have looking forward to that blessed hope. Father, we just come to you right now in the name of Jesus. And for, hallelujah, Jesus. Father, we thank you, Lord God, that, that your son is going to return. And, and Father, as I sit here, I, I think of the disciples of old, Lord God, that gathered in that, that upper room in preparation, Lord God, for your son Jesus' ascent into heaven. And Lord God, when he, he gave them those instructions, he told them, Lord God, that they would receive power. <coughs> when the Holy Spirit had come upon them, that they would be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, the uttermost parts of the world. But Lord God, it says that he was taken up into the air. And it says they, they stood there gazing upward, Lord God. And Lord God, it says those, those angels that were there, they, they spoke to them. They said, why do you stand gazing upward? Do you not know that this same Jesus that you send will return in like manner? <coughs> Father, I thank you, Lord God, that he's coming back. He's coming back physically. He's coming back in reality. He's coming back in power, Lord God. And he's coming back, and the Lord says that every eye will behold him, Lord God. But Father, I don't want my revelation of Jesus, Lord God, to be some distant thing. I want my revelation and unveiling of Jesus, Lord God, to be in the now. Lord God, I want to know Him. I want to be intimate with with You, Lord God, through Your Son, Jesus. I want to have that type of relationship. <clears throat> and I ask You today, Lord God, for each and every one of us. Father, as we study this this Word, this Theonustos, Lord God, this Word that is God-breathed and and good and profitable for doctrine, for teaching, for understanding, Lord God, for correction. And Father, you come into these places that we've gathered, Lord God, and you just reveal yourself in a fresh and a mighty way, Lord God. You'd reveal yourself, Lord God, but you'd also reveal your plan and just how much, Lord God, that you've involved us in that plan, Lord God, because of your grace and mercy. So today, Lord God, we come and ask that you'd cleanse us, Lord God, and purge us from all unrighteousness. You'd come and fill us afresh and anew. You'd come, Lord God, and, and give us the heart and the mind, Lord God, to know you and to hear you and to receive you, Lord God. That, Lord God, that, 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 that nothing, Lord God, would be hidden from our sight, that as children of the light, Lord God, that we would not be in darkness. Lord God, would you just give us an understanding and a revelation. And Lord God, just move us with compassion today, Lord God. Father, we want to love you with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. We don't want anything to impede or, or, or hinder, Lord God, our relationship with you. But, Lord God, we want to also love our, our neighbor, our brother, Lord God, as ourself. Because we can't love you, Lord God, who we've seen, Lord God, and, and, and hate or not love, Lord God, we, those we have seen. So, Father, do a, do a heart check and a heart work on us today, Lord God, as we sit here, Lord God, in, in, in preparation of that ultimate unveiling. Lord God, while you're unveiling yourself to us day by day, bringing us from glory to glory to glory. So come and fill this place up, Lord God. Cleanse me. Forgive me, Lord God. Purge me. Lord God, that I might be that vessel that you flow through, Lord God, unto your people today. We ask all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. 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 And amen. You know, folks, I want to read those first uh, uh, six or eight verses that we talked about at length yesterday. And uh, to you, then we'll, then we'll jump into probably verse 9 is where we're really going to kind of hit it today. And it says, And after these things I heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying, Hallelujah, salvation and glory, and honor and power unto the Lord of our God. And you know, after these things, we talked about what that was, that this, after these things were the, the destruction of both the, the spiritual 
or the religious system, that religious Babylon, mystery Babylon, which we looked at in, in chapter 18, as well as the political Babylon of chapter, uh, excuse me, chapter 17 for uh, mystery Babylon, chapter uh, 18 for that political Babylon. So after the fall of those things, it says that John heard this great voice and there was much rejoicing. It was, it was hallelujah, salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. Folks, listen, when the, when the systems of this world topple, regardless of what they are, whether there's something on that magnitude or just a system in your life, there ought to be a great rejoicing. You, you know, I think about looking back and, uh, you know, when, when the systems of this world, so to speak, have toppled in my life, that, you know, there's a, there's a rejoicing. You know, there's, there's not a mourning for the flesh pots of, of, of Egypt. There's not a, a longing for what was. But there's a, a pressing and a, and a moving forward towards the mark for the prize of the high calling of God, which is in Christ Jesus. And that's what's going to be happening at that point. Once those kingdoms of this world are going to become the kingdoms of our God, there is this, this clarion call that's just going to resonate out of the, the host of heaven. And it says, For true and righteous are his judgments, for he has judged the great whore, which did corrupt the earth with her fornication, and says, Venge the blood of, the, of his servants at her hand. And again they said, Hallelujah, and her smoke rose forever and ever. And there's that judgment that's going to be evident to all to see forever and ever. And the four and twenty elders and the four beasts fell down and worshipped God, the sat on the throne saying, Amen, Hallelujah. So those, that host that, that we saw introduced back in uh, the early chapters, once again, that four and twenty elders representing the, the saints from... Uh, from really both dispensation, dispensation of law and dispensation of grace, are going to be right there rejoicing. It says, And a voice came out of the throne saying, Praise our God, and you servants, that ye fear him, both small and great. And it says in verse 6, Now here's it word, the voice of the great multitude, and the voice of many waters, and the voice of mighty thundering, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord omnipotent reigneth. He's all powerful, in other words. Let us be glad and rejoice, and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. And folks, you know, we talked about this yesterday, kind of in length about what this period of time, it's the, uh, it's the, the that, that seat, and you know, I, I, I'm looking at my notes here, and I uh, mispronounced my own Greek word, bema seat is what it is, not burma seat, I was looking at my writing here, I couldn't even read my own note. But uh, it's that Bema seat that, that the church is going to go before. You know, we think sometimes that, you know, we're going to stand and, you know, we know that we're going to give an account. But the good news for those that are a part of that, 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 that first resurrection, the part of that Revelation chapter 4 verse 1, is that there's a promise that we have. And the Word of God says that if we're faithful to confess our sins, He's faithful to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It says that He'll take those sins that we have because of the blood of Jesus and He'll cast them as far as the east is from the west. So all of those sins that you committed, it's not going to say, you know, God's forgiven you for them, but I'm going to put them back in your face. That's that's not going to happen. You know, I think people kind of have that conception that this great... Uh, Things are going to be portrayed before them, and they're going to all of a sudden anything they've ever done in their life before they got saved, whatever it's going to be flashed on this big screen. That's really not even consistent with Scripture, folks. What you're going to see is that this bema seat is that people are going to be rewarded according to their their obedience unto Christ. And is there going to be some some disappointment? Most probably, because you're going to see. Uh, we was talking about this after the program yesterday. You know, you're going to see the saints of old. You're going to see those that have paid the price, those that have not buckled under the pressure of this world. 
And you're going to see that they're going to have a tremendous, tremendous reward. And maybe if you haven't been faithful and obedient to what God's told you to do, you know what? Those things are going to burn up. And like I said yesterday, you'll get in, you'll get in by the, the skin of your teeth. And you know that you're, you'll be saved. But you'll think to yourself at that point, you know, I could have done so much more. Folks, you that are listening today, you have the opportunity to do so much more. Why live a mundane uh, uh, existence that, that really has no promise of crowns, no promise of reward, no promise of righteousness, when God has afforded us the opportunity through the person of the Holy Spirit, through the sufficiency of grace, to literally walk in victory? And I've shared this many times. We, we encounter people on the streets that have bought into such a wide-gate gospel. And in most cases, it's, it's not even a gospel that produces salvation because there's never a, that, that, that whole, if any man be in Christ, transformational salvation that, that moves them away from who they were. It's a, it's, it's a fire insurance. It's a, some type of, let me repeat a prayer and I'm okay. Folks, listen, Jesus didn't die so you can repeat a prayer and go, go about living your own life. Jesus came and died and rose again from the dead that you might have victory over that sin nature, that you might be changed and transformed, that you might be freed from the ravages of, of sin's curse, that you might be presented unto him a, 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 a holy sacrifice without blemish, without spot. That's what Jesus came for. And the Word tells us, though, it says that, that, uh, that, that unless we repent, we'll perish. And so, folks, listen, we have the opportunity to change the way we think right now. And so we stand before Him. There's going to be a, a time of great reward. There's going to be a time of, of seeking Him and looking to Him, the author and the finisher of our faith. And so what you're seeing there unfold is that, that downfall of the world system and when the church, the body of Christ, that have been uh, taking part of this, stand before that and we're rewarded according to what we've done. And so, folks, listen, we have the thing. You know, think about the word. It says, not to lay up treasure for yourself here on earth where moth and dust corrupt and thieves break through and steal, but lay up treasure for yourself in heaven. Now, when he's talking about treasure or treasure houses, he's talking about something that's on account. And so if we think for a minute that, you know what, it's going to be a level play field, everybody's going to get there, and it doesn't matter if you're real obedient or just a little bit obedient, it doesn't matter if you really, really pressed in or you just barely got saved. Now, salvation, folks, the fact of being saved, it's going to be the same for everyone. It is. The, the playing field is, is level. But the reward based upon obedience, God is a, a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. And for those that don't diligently seek Him, that have trust in Him for faith and salvation, but have never allowed that maturity to come into their life, the reward's going to be very small. Why put yourself in that situation? Why not just be obedient to what God says now? Now, does that mean that you'll be trekking the globe and doing all these things? That doesn't necessarily mean that. But it does mean that you're going to be faithful and you're going to be uh, content and compliant to the will of God in your heart and life in the now. So I really want to challenge you for that because there's so much. It's, it's, a, it's a consequential situation for each and every single one of us because God is not mocked uh, and be not deceived. Whatever man sows, that's what he's going to reap. And so when I lay up treasure for myself in heaven, it's not corrupted. And uh, moth and dust don't corrupt it. Thieves don't break through and steal. And where my treasure is, my heart will be also. So let your treasures be those things that are going to pertain to that reward in heaven at this Bema seat in Revelation chapter 19. And he goes on to say in verse 9, he says this, and he says, Thus saith, uh, and he said, He said unto me, Right, blessed are they which are called of the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said unto me, These are the true sayings of God. Folks, what this does, this really kind of discloses the fact that the marriage supper of the Lamb will include a reception, and there's going to be many guests that are invited. And, and But I want you to think about something. Uh, br the bride and the bridegroom are never guests. 
You know what? They're the they're the the centerpiece of any type of reception of any type of wedding. You know also, what I, I love about this is the first miracle that Jesus did in the scripture recorded miracle was at a wedding in Cana in Galilee. That's where he was at. And now you see this this final miraculous thing at the night at chapter nineteen. Where is it at? It's it it's a wedding, but it's not someone else's. It's the marriage supper of the Lamb of God, who is Jesus Christ. And so you know there, there, there's going to be ones that the marriage is performed for, and that's going to be the bride and the groom, but there are also going to be those that are in attendance. And so the question is, who are going to be the attendees at the marriage supper? We know who the, 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 the lamb is. We know that's Jesus. We know who the bride is. That's the, the church that came out, uh, uh, that's very mentioned in Revelation chapter 41, that, that uh, were raptured out. And so the guests, though, are going to be all believers up to the point of Pentecost. Those that, that came... Uh, uh, through the uh, the old covenant, those that trusted by faith in what was going to happen, and it's going to be the tribulation saints as well, those that were given that opportunity of that great mercy during Jacob's trouble to come in. And so, uh, you know, John, the, the disciple that Jesus loved, and we and you see that in John nineteen twenty six, and the, the one who wrote the book of the Revelation, he said this. He said, "He that hath the bride." is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom, which stands and hear him, uh, rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This, my joy, therefore, is fulfilled. And so you think about this great hallelujah. You think about how they're, they're talking about this, this great blessing. They begin to, to shout. Why? Because that's why. Because the, 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 the friend of the bridegroom stands and hear him, and he rejoices because of the bridegroom's voice. And then, blessed or happy are they which are called in the marriage supper of the Lamb. And so, there's a great rejoicing even for those that get to look in great adoration of those who have trusted in Jesus through what we call the dispensation of grace. And so, the, the, to, to kind of put in your notes, the bride is com- composed of all believers, I believe, who, who become members of the body of Christ from the birth of the church at the day of Pentecost until the rapture. That is that bride, that the distinguished people that have been called out from amongst the people to be called the bride of Christ. And you know, we find also though that there's there's guests that are here that people that trusted prior to the birth of the church uh, or following the rapture. But since the marriage though folks takes place in heaven and the Old Testament and tribulation believers are part of that earthly group, you know, their their hope of participating in this event is the fact that they are the friend of the bride group. And that's exactly what happens. Now think about this though the fact that the marriage takes place in heaven and the supper occurs on earth is, is really kind of a picture of what we saw in the parable of the ten virgins. Let me read that to you. It's Matthew 25, verses 1 through 13. It says, Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto the ten virgins, who took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. And five of them were wise, and five were foolish. They were foolish, took their lamps, and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels and their lamps. And while the bridegroom tarried or waited, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom comes. Go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and, and, and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said unto the wise, Give us your oil, for our lamps are gone out. But the wise a, uh, answered, saying, Not so, lest there not be enough for us and you. But go and gather to them and sell them by for yourselves. And while they went out to buy, the bridegroom came, and they went. They were uh, they were ready. Went in unto him to the marriage, and the door was shut. Afterwards came also the other virgins, underline that, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, and said, Verily I say unto you, I, you, I, I know you not. Watch therefore. 
For you know neither the day nor the hour when the Son of Man comes. Notice in verse 6 of that, of the, the book text, it says, Behold, the bridegroom comes, go out to meet him. And folks, the reason the emphasis there is on the bridegroom is because that's who the emphasis always is on. It's on the bridegroom, not the bride, because Jesus is the center of everything. And so even John says, Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come. And you see that in Revelation chapter 19, verse 7. And so believers, folks, of the, of, uh, or members of the, of the bride, really we've got to always remember and, and look to the glory that, that it's his. That, listen, we're coming up to meet him. We're going to glorify him. We're going to rejoice. And so he redeemed us. And without Christ Jesus, we'd be absolutely nothing. But He has betrothed us to Himself. He has called us holy. He's called us righteous. He's purged us with His own blood. He's wrapped us in robes of righteousness. There's been this great preparation He's done in our life. Then look at verse 10 where it says, And it says, And I fell at His feet. This is that, and let me back up. He said unto me, I'm going to back up a couple because I don't want you to miss this. And, uh, and He says, I heard the voice of a great multitude and the voice of many waters. Verse 6. And it's the voice of uh, many waters and the voice of mighty thundering, saying, Hallelujah, and the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. And he said unto me, so who's saying this? This is that angel that's speaking uh, that we saw early on. He said, Thus are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said unto me, These are the true sayings. Now look at what happens here in verse 10. And this is John's being. He said, I fell at his feet to worship him. And he said unto me, See that you do not do that. I am but a fellow servant, and of my brethren that have the testimony of Jesus, worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Now, now folks, think about what just happened. And, and I want you to apply this to your own self just a minute. Now, here John is, and here, here he is. And I don't know how long this vision up to this point has lasted, but it's tremendous things that he's able to see. You know, obviously, he's, been, he's got this unveiling. He's got uh, heaven exposed to him. He's looking uh, through this, this window into, uh, into events that are going to transpire. And so you have to say to yourself, man, this is a guy that's on the cutting edge of what God is doing. And so, folks, look what happened though in verse 10. He dropped the ball, and he got so caught up in the moment that he began to worship a created being. You see that? And so sometimes what we think, we get so, so, so built up in our own self, as, as 2 Chronicles chapter 26 talks about uh, Uzziah, says when he became strong in his own eyes. Sometimes we get strong in our own eyes, and we don't think that we can miss it. And here John is, caught up in a vision in, in heaven, seeing things that are going to happen uh, uh, prophetically. And all of a sudden, uh, this angel shows up because he's so caught up in the moment, he finds himself bowing down and worshiping an angel. Why is that so important? Folks, there's, a, there's been a push in the last few years on this, basically the worship of angels. There's been such a fascination. You know, a number of years back, you saw all this artwork and all these things, and people would decorate their house with little cherubs and all these angelic things. And then just recently, there's this quote-unquote uh, uh, move. I, I, I'm reluctant to use the term revival because of the fact that how it turned out. Uh, here, where you know this, this this guy that was heading it up was getting these angelic visitations, all these things, and talking about this healing angels. And so we can see how that could happen because even John the Revelator. And Revelation chapter 19 verse 10 made that exact same mistake. You know what it also speaks to me? It just shows the validity of the scripture. And you know, if, if man wrote this, if man was in control of this, don't you think man would have omitted that big mistake? 
John, John would never have outed himself if he had had uh, uh, kind of editorial control of what got writ- written. Because I'm sure, you know, for John, he felt, you know, pretty foolish to himself. Here I am, seeing the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and all of a sudden, you know, I'm finding myself bowing down and worshiping an angel. And so, if, if John had it, uh, had probably hit his brothers, he'd have said, listen, can we just kind of skip that part? Let's, let's just talk about the part where I didn't miss it. Let's look at the part where I got everything right. And, and so, you, you, you see how the scripture is so true that it not only just reveals God's glory, but it shows our flaws in the midst of God's glory. So, for you and I, listen, there's, that's, some, that's some great uh, consolation to know that even John sometimes misses the mark and sometimes John comes up short. But uh, we, we, we get the, the, the grace and the mercy of God in this sentence. He said, see, he said, don't do that. I'm just a fellow servant, my brethren, that has the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And so he gives that order, and he shows exactly what happened. So, but you look at this. If John bows basically his knees to this created being, the, the angel says, don't do it. Because basically we know that angels are ministering spirits sent forth to minister uh, for them who share the heirs of salvation. You'll find that in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 4. And he says, get on up. I'm only a servant of God just as you are. And so uh, John learned really kind of an important lesson that all of us need to learn. And, and you know, beware of anything that honors anything but Jesus. And that's really the, the lesson. And so you, I don't care if it's an angel, I don't care if it's a spirit, I don't care if it's uh, a person. Whatever, if it's not pointing always towards the worship of the Lord Jesus Christ, you need to run, man, run. And so uh, we, we see that in Exodus 20, verses 4 and 5. Don't honor or worship anything, anything created. Uh, God alone is to be worshipped. Now here's, here's the place that really we've been waiting for. We have the fall of these world kingdoms, these world systems, and now, folks, this is, this is the point where everything changes. And I, and I say that because, you know, heaven is about to be open. Look what he says here in verse 11. And, and this is powerful stuff here, folks. He said, and I saw heaven open. I saw it open. Now, uh, Man, I think about that moment that we're going to behold him. You know, fortunately, we're going to, we'll see that we'll be accompanying that. But can you imagine a world that's mocked him and scoffed and ridiculed his name? All of a sudden, heaven is going to be open. Now, listen to this. This is that, that second heaven, what it's talking about. It's literally talking about that, that outward sky that we look up and we see the blue skies and we see the clouds. We see that those things that are between uh, terra firma here on planet Earth and in the, the outward parts of the universe. That heaven is going to be rolled back. You know what's amazing to me as I say about that, I get chills thinking about it. We, we, we kind of seen a, a, a precursor to that when the veil in the temple was rent uh, twain from top to bottom. You know, the glory of God was housed in that temple. The Shekinah glory was around that, that covenant with him. And uh, a couple of things, look how these things all go together. When the, when the veil of the temple was rent twain, and in that, in that, in that holy place, in the, in the tabernacle of the wilderness and in the, the temple, you had the Ark of the Covenant with the mercy seat on top of it. And you had those angels, that, that, the cherubs, uh, cherubim that were above it, that stood above the mercy seat. And upon that also was the glory of God. And so when the veil was rent twain, it was open, the glory of God was able to spill out under humanity. But think about this as well. When the, the children of Israel under Joshua's ministry, under Joshua's leadership, I'd say, uh, entered into the Promised Land, they crossed the River Jordan, Think about it. The priest had the covenant, that same ark that would be housed in that temple upon their shoulders. And what did it do? It, it paved the way. It, it opened up the river and allowed them to pass in. Folks, both of those instances right there that I talked about 
are types of this right here. And so when, when we take the covenant of God that He has given us and we begin to go through, things open up, things part. And so what's, what's the good lesson for us? Folks, if you're waiting for something to happen and you, you feel like that heaven is slammed, you feel like every situation, maybe you need to see what you're carrying with you because when we carry that covenant, things open. He's to, he tells us right here, he says, I've set me before you an open door. And so the doors are open when we're in covenant with him. What closes the door to you and to me is disobedience to walk in covenant relationship with Jesus. And so if you're sitting there and you're struggling and you're always dissatisfied, if you're always just battling uh, your, your emotions, you're battling in your faith, you need to back up and say, God, am I carrying covenant with me? Am I carrying a faith in what you've done in my heart and life? Or am I going in empty-handed trying to see things opened up? Because when we walk in a covenant relationship with them, we allow the, the political, the religious systems of our life, whatever those might be, what happens is, is Revelation chapter 19, verse 11. And, he saw, and, and I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. Now, look at this picture. Heaven is going to roll back like a scroll, literally. And so everything that was veiled through, through the natural world is going to be peeled back. And all of humanity is going to see that this, this physical realm was just basically a created illusion. But the reality is going to open up in just an instant. Boom. Heaven's going to peel open. I saw it open. And behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him, folks, is called faithful. And he's called true. And it says, in, in righteousness he does judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire. Look at how this description is the same as we got uh, in, in chapter 1. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth comes that sharp two-edged sword, and with it would smite the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And so, folks, what this does is we see just this very vivid portrayal of who Christ is when he comes back to earth. You know, he's, he's not coming back as the lowly carpenter. He's not going back still nailed to the, to the Catholic crucifix. He, he's not coming back as the, 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 the angelic, angel Moroni, the brother of Satan of the Mormon church. That's not, he's coming, he's coming back as the king of kings, as the Lord of lords. He's not coming back as a good man or a good prophet, uh, according to, to, to Islam. He is coming back as the preeminent one. He is coming back as the, the, the master of all things. He is coming back as as our God omnipotent reigneth. That's who he's coming at. And in a moment, folks, what he's going to do is he's going to reveal himself to all the inhabitants of the earth. And so we saw that again in chapter 11, uh, verse 15. If you remember, we talked about uh, chapters 12 through 19 simply repeat the materials that were given to us in chapter 6 through 11. Now think about this for just a second, folks. For centuries, literally centuries, uh, people have scoffed. They've 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 declared, you know, uh, you know, where's the promise of his coming? You see that in Second uh, Peter chapter uh, three, verse four. And people have said, well, he's not coming back. He's, he said it. And so, at that point that this splits open, all the mockers, all the scoffers, all those that have rejected your testimony, your witness on the streets of your city and your nation, that said, I don't believe. Folks, in a minute, they're going to be believers. I told people that told me on the streets, listen, hey, I don't want to hear it, I'm an atheist. And I'll tell them, well, listen, there's no atheist in hell. Because the second that that sky is opened up, 
You're going to be a believer in the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And so you're either going to believe and bow your knee in rebellion on your way to hell, or you're going to believe in, in, in humility on your way to heaven, and you'll be a part of that holy and heavenly processional. And so we see it unfolding. It's going to, it's going to cease. And you know, you're going to see this, basically, this, this awe-inspiring and breathtaking uh, unfolding and unfolding of events. Folks, listen. This is not a nursery rhyme. This is not a Hollywood screenplay. This is the reality of what is about to happen in this world. And so, you know, the world immediately, basically it says, After the tribulation of those days, shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken, and then shall appear a sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And you shall send his angels in a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect, saying, which is to save Jews and tribulation saints in this verse, uh, from the four winds, from the end of heaven to the other. And that's Matthew 24, 29 through 32. And so they're going to see him. He's going to gather those elect, those that have come out, those Jews that have, have, have seen him and received him as the Messiah, as well as the tribulation saints, those that receive him. So, you know, the scene basically, it's, it's a literal event. Folks, and heaven is going to be open. There's no more going to be that division, that middle wall of partition, that veil, so to speak, is going to be uh, torn asunder as just the, the eastern skies are going to be ripped from top to bottom, and heaven's door is going to be wide open. And you know, you see that twice in the book of the Revelation. You know, once, and think about it, let's go back just a second to, to chapter uh, 4, where, where our blessed hope is as the body of Christ. And he said, After this, and behold, I looked, and the door was open in heaven. And the first voice I heard was the sound of a trumpet uh, talking to me and saying, come up, heaven, come up hither. And so, folks, listen, you get heaven's door open twice, and both times it's glorious. The first one, and you know, you have people that, whether they adhere to a, a post-trib or a mid-trib or a pre-wrath type of rapture, they, they kind of run into a, a problem on this. Because twice we see in Revelation 4.1 and right here in Revelation uh, 19.11, the door is open. And so if they think, you know, they have to believe kind of a split type of rapture or something else that's happening. Because we see in, in Revelation 4.1, basically what it's doing is the calling up of the saints. Now we see heaven's gates open and the saints are returning with him. You see the difference there? We're caught up to see the things the first time. And now heaven's doors are open again because it's been shut for a period of time. Now it's going to be open and we're going to return with him. So it pictures that the rapture in 4-1 and now the return or the, re- uh, the revealing of the unveiling of Christ Jesus in 1911. Uh, and so the door was open uh, again and now we're going to return with the rider upon the white horse who's called the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And so the rider in verse 12, folks, listen to what it begins to describe him. It says he had eyes as a flame of fire. And you know, any time fire is utilized, it's that purging. And so when he's coming, he, he's not coming with a twinkle in his eye. He's coming with fire in his eyes. He's coming as that one that's going to purge the world of sin, that's going to begin to, to, to rule and reign in righteousness forever. And so he can see through all the hypocrisy. He'll be able to see through, 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 through all the, uh, the, the false religion. He'll see through everything. That's basically what it's, it's saying. All those things that try to prop themselves up as Christianity, all those try, things that try to pro, uh, prop themselves up as some other godless type of uh, religion, secular humanism, whatever it is, he's going to see right 
back through those things in a moment. And so these are the eyes uh, that were viewed also in chapter 1, verse 14. And so as king of kings and lord of lords, Christ basically says that he has on his head this, this crown of, of royalty. And he has also a special name, it says, that is only going to be exposed at this hour. And until, until then, he's the only one that really knows the name and its meaning. So in verse 13, we see that the Lord wears a vesture dipped in blood. And you think about that, that vesture dipped in blood really speaks of a couple of things. Number one, it speaks again of the judgment that he's about to bring to the earth. And it also speaks of the cleansing that judgment brings. Folks, here's the thing. You know, a lot of times we think when judgment comes or when the trials come upon us that it's a negative thing. It's, re- it's really not. It's a very positive thing. Uh, judgment brings righteousness. And so when he tells us that the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of the Lord, why is that? Because God wants to bring righteous judgment. That's, that, that, that way when we stand before him, at that Bema seat, that we don't have to give an account for those sins. And so when he has this vesture dipped in blood, it, it, it speaks of that judgment that, that's come uh, not only to bring righteousness to the saints, but the, 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 the judgments that's going to come to bring punishment eternally to those that have rejected it. So it's going to set there as a demonstration. And so you and I have the opportunity here and now to either receive the blood of Jesus under grace or to receive the blood of Jesus unto judgment. And what's sad is you talk to people and you begin to share just that blessed hope and what Jesus can do for them. And you know the consequences of the rejection of the gospel. You know, I, I mentioned the other day I had a, uh, a, a sign that, that I've been carrying on the streets that says, Are you the one? And it quotes from Matthew 18, 11 through 14, talking about Jesus you know, leaving the 99 and going unto the one. And that you know, there's a great rejoicing in, in heaven over that one rather than the 99 that didn't go astray. And, you know, I had people, and it was interesting, you know, I had, I, and the ones that did this, it's really heartbreaking. It was, you know, I had men, grown men and, and women in their 50s and 60s that were walking by and looking at it with a smirk and saying, I'm not the one. I'm not the one. And, you know, one day they will have wished that they were the one. And I said to many of them, I said, well, I'm sorry, that's very unfortunate that you're not. And they just kept walking with their smirk on their face. Folks, can you imagine that day when they stand and they don't have the, the, the blood of mercy crying out, not guilty for them, but that image of them walking by that sign and that opportunity of just one of God's servants out there saying, are you the one that God's looking for? And them saying, I'm not the one. Then when they're crying out for Jesus' mercy because they're about to be cast headlong into, into the, the, the bottomless pit, and Jesus looking at them and playing that, and them saying, I'm not the one. And they're crying out and saying, God, have mercy upon me. He said, you know what? You're not the one. Depart from me. I never knew you, you that work lawlessness. Folks, listen. When I, when I see these things unfolding, really, for me in the now, looking forward into this prophetic event, it really creates an urgency inside of me. It creates a brokenness thinking about those that, that will not know him, those that will not be able to see him, those that will not have a, a crown of righteousness laid up for those that love his appearing. And so, and so the, at that moment that John sees this, the, the word of God uh, coming in judgment, he also observes a great uh, host called the armies of heaven, and they're going to follow him upon wide horses. And now, I want you to look at where they, they come from. They come from heaven. It doesn't say when this happens there's going to be a sudden rapture and everybody on earth is going to be saddled up on these horses. It says, I saw this great, uh, I saw heaven open behold a white horse. And it says, and, and those that were with him uh, were upon wide horses. They came from the same place that he had. They were not already present upon the earth. They are the saints, folks, who were raptured in chapter 4, verse 1. They are the bride who made herself ready 
We talked about this this beam of seat and wore fine linen, clean and white in verse 8 uh, of this present study as we've looked at it. And, it, and you know, we think about the scripture tells us that he's going to return with, with ten thousands of his saints. You know, millions and millions of, of, of number. The ten thousands of his saints is not talking about there's going to be ten thousand. It's telling about a number that's so enormous of those, those that have come to him. And so it's it's these people that have avoided that tribulation hour. They're part of that blessed hope. They're the ones that have been blessed because they were part of that first resurrection. And so now what's happening? They're returning with the king uh, for basically the conflict which is called Armageddon. And so they're privileged to stand with him as he comes to execute judgment upon all. And and basically that's immediately going to convince all the ungodly of their ungodly deeds which they have committed in this this world and all of the the things that they've said, uh, all the things that they've done, everything in their life, they're going to be judged for those things. And so the time of the reaping has arrived. Uh, Make a note and look at John, uh, excuse me, Jude, verse 15, and you'll see that this is what that was talking about. And so as Christ returns, and basically he begins to exercise his authority over all those that dwell, it says that his mouth, look what it says. It says that he he, uh, saw a white horse, and he had, uh, his eyes were like a flame of fire, and his head were many crowds, and he had a name written no man knew. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. The armies which were in heaven followed him on white horses. And out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that he should smite the nations. Folks, we know what that sword is. The sword of the Spirit, Ephesians chapter 6, is the Word of God. And so what's going to happen when he comes, his sword is his Word. That is the defense throughout the ages. Folks, heaven and earth will pass away, but his Word will not pass away. And so he does not uh, deviate or delineate from his prescribed path of order. What did he tell Peter? He told him, upon this rock, upon my word, he said, I'll build my church and that the gates of hell will, will not prevail against it. Folks, if you ever had to stand upon anything in this day and age, you've got to learn to stand upon the, the, the word of God. And I know it's become somewhat cliche in some circles. I'm just standing upon the word. I'm just standing upon the word. Folks, that, that if you don't stand upon that word, that word one day will stand upon you. And so when I'm talking about, I'm not, I'm not talking about, again, cherry picking something that's going to be advantageous for you in this world. But I'm talking about a word that's going to produce righteousness and holiness in your life. It's a word that says, be perfect as I'm perfect. That says, be holy as I'm holy. A word that's going to prepare you for that point that you're going to be clothed in white raiment. And so it says, out of his mouth came that Word And folks, that word that today is a discerner of the thoughts of a man's heart, can you imagine when that word begins to speak? He's not, it didn't say he lifts up that word or he sends down uh, meteors. It didn't say that at this point. It says that he speaks. And, and you know what's interesting to me about that? I've seen it happen many times when, I, when I'm ministering or witnessing, especially out in, in the marketplace, is when you begin to share that word, it's, it's like smiting someone with a sword. And I shared the other night, uh, about the woman that came by, and she basically just said, "Listen, I, I, I'm I'm sinning, and you know it's okay because I've done this many times since I've gotten saved, and you know what I mean." And when I told her, "I don't know what you mean," and I began to read from the scripture, actually at that point I was just quoting from the scripture and had my Bible in my hand. You could see it was just like piercing her through with with a, with a, with, a, with a stave. I mean, she began to 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 basically uh, rebel against the Word of God. But when that word comes, folks, as the word made flesh, who we see returning in his all of his glory, here in Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 through 16, the world is going to bristle at that word because they're going to know that we had an opportunity uh, at the preaching of the gospel to receive it and receive the mercy. And so uh, they're going to hear it. They're going to... Uh, they're going to uh, 
be pierced through to it. Judgment's going to come, and they're going to have to respond. So his word, basically what it's going to do, is it's going to smite all their consciences in their lives. And this is exactly, uh, if you think about it, what happened to the, to the officers and the chief priests that came uh, to get Jesus at the Garden of Gethsemane. Remember that story? And as soon as, says, as, soon as he had said, they asked him who he was, as soon as he says, I am, what happened to them? It says that they went backwards. They fell down like dead men. That's John 18, verse 6. And so the Word of God, we talked about Hebrews 4.12, it's, 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 it's quick, it's powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. And so when that Word comes out, boom, what's going to happen? It's going to, it's going to come in power and it's going to come in authority. And so we, we noted in verse 15 that, that Christ and His Word alone smashed the nations of Armageddon. And I want you to look at that. You know, we're going to be following Him upon white horses, but you know what we're coming as? More in an observatory type of role. Because it's the Word, folks, that has fought all of our battles. You know, today, you know what fights your battles? It's the Word of God. You know what causes your, your enemies to, to tremble? It's, it's not your, 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 hot, your free hot dog. It's not your, how nice you are. It's not our giveaway. It's none of those things. It's the Word of God that stands as that message to a lost and dying world. You know, we talked about many times that He's chosen the foolishness of preaching the Gospel to save those things that are lost. And so it's the Word that, that stands. It's the Word that can fix. It's the Word that saves. And it's the Word that's going to return seated upon a white horse with glory with ten thousands of His saints returning with Him. So, folks, listen. If you're going to stand upon anything, stand upon truth. Stand upon the Word. Don't stand upon compromise. And so basically what we as the armies of heaven are going to observe uh, is basically we're just observing uh, the fierceness of His wrath as He treads out the winepress of the fierceness of the Almighty God. And so the moment that we're talking about here brings the fulfillment of Daniel 2, verse 34, which we touched on a numerous time, which predicts that a stone which is cut out without hands, basically it pulverizes the image or that ten-nation confederacy of, 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 of nations that have come together under the Antichrist. And so this stone, it, it now at this point it's going to expand and it's going to fill the entire earth with his kingdom which is going to be never to be destroyed again and its leader is the king of kings and the lord of lords and no one's going to be able to miss him no one's going to be able to mistake who he is why? because he's clothed with a vesture dipped in his own name and he has on his thigh uh, and on his robe the title king of kings and lord of lords and so he is the one there's no one that's going to usurp authority over him there's no one that's going to have any other power then look at verses 17 and 18 it says I saw an angel standing in the sun and he cried with a loud voice saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God that you may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains and the flesh of the mighty men and the flesh of horses and of them that sit on them and the flesh of all men both free and bond small and great now think about that I want you to look at something here this is interesting and it says, come to the supper of the great God. Now, we have the marriage supper of the Lamb. Now we have mentioned the supper of the great God. Folks, don't confuse those two things. Okay? Marriage supper of the Lamb is the, is the, 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 the supper that's for, uh, in preparation for the, the wedding between the, the, the Lamb of God and for the, the bride of Christ. This supper of the great God is a supper basically of judgment. Because look what's happening. These, these ravenous birds, these vultures, basically is what this is really speaking of, because of this great battle of Armageddon, again, we saw that uh, previously. We talked about you know the blood of uh, is going to be as high as the bridle of horses, four or five foot tall, and this, this, this great tragedy and this great uh, 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 bloodshed. Now what's going to happen? The, the fact that these vultures are going to cons uh, consuming not just the, 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 the flesh of the, the, the peasant or the, the foot soldier, 
but everyone, the, the, the captains and the kings, anyone that thought that they were going to exude some type of power or authority over the Lord Jesus Christ and over his reign, the birds are going to eat it. So you see this, this, this devastating scene that's uh, presented, and it's the result of the Battle of Armageddon. That's chapter 16, uh, verse, verse 16, that's going to be fought in that, that valley of Megiddo. And you know, we think about, too, that Russian invasion of Israel that we talked about, and we looked at Ezekiel 38 and 39. You know, Russia had made her move right there in the middle of the, the Great Tribulation. Uh, in the Antichrist, though, he came to power and he made this false peace pact uh, with, uh, with the nations. And, and, and they broke it in the midst of seven years in Daniel 9.27. And that's when we saw uh, Russia uh, invade the Holy Land. And she went up into that land of unwalled villages. And she said, I will go up to them that rest and that do, those that dwell safely, Ezekiel 38 and, and 11. And so that's that, that pre-battle that took place. Something's interesting about that. I heard today that uh, Secretary of State Hillary Clinton uh, said that the best case for Israel was a, 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 a two-state nation, you know, a Palestinian, Palestinian state and a Jewish state. And, and so she's there. We're trying to work these peace situation there in the Middle East. Folks, all these things, and they say peace, peace, sudden destruction is going to come. And so try as they might to try to, to, to prop up something. What we see is these people are pawns and players in, in a plan that's about to unfold. And so what's going to happen is this, whatever this is, is a precursor to a, uh, something that the enemy is going to do uh, and the Antichrist is going to do that's going to try to bring this semblance of peace to the nation of Israel. So as you think about this, watch closely exactly what's going to happen because the Antichrist is going to come in, and, but there's going to be an invasion. You know, also, uh, President uh, Barack Obama told the, the Soviet uh, president, or I guess he's the prime minister now, uh, was it Alexander Putin, uh, or Putin, I guess it would be. He said, listen, if you'll help us solve the problem with the Iranian nuclear situation, we won't build this missile shield. And so look at these things. The United States is saying we're going to back off of a missile shield that would be, be protectorate of the, the, the nation of Israel if you'll help us. But... The Russians bristled. They said, listen, the issue with Iran shouldn't even be an issue. And so basically what they're saying is don't build an issue. Don't build a, a missile shield, but we're not going to have Iran do away with that. So I believe what's going to probably unfold in really a short amount of time is we're going to probably see uh, Israel make a, some type of airstrike against the nuclear uh, reactors and the facilities that would construct those type of weapons against Iran. And what that's going to lead to is a Russian uh, attempted a Russian invasion of the Holy Land. And so I don't want to be around to see that and don't believe that we will, but you're going to see that because these things are happening, folks, Revelation 4.1 is at hand, which sets us up for just a few years away from Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 through 16. And so I want you to see just how close that we really are to the returning of the Lord Jesus Christ. And look at verses 19 through 20. It says, And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their name and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat upon the horse and against his army. And the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, which, uh, with which he deceived them and had received the mark of the beast, and them that worshipped his image. And they were both cast alive into a lake of burning fire and brimstone. It doesn't say they put up much of a fight, does it? It says that when he come, what did he do? He took these individuals, this false prophet, this, this religious leader, and he took this political leader. And what did he do? He cast them alive into a lake of fire burning with brimstone. Folks, listen. Those leaders, political, religious, uh, that have tried to promote themselves as God, they've opposed everything righteous, 
Now what's going to happen? We're going to be snatched up and cast alive into the burning lake of fire, which is going to be basically the, the final abode. I wouldn't even say resting place because it's not going to be rest. For everybody that hates God, everybody that's rejected Christ, everybody that's despised and said, I'm not the one. Folks, that's, that's the, the consequence of sin. That's the consequence of walking in unrighteousness. It's being cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with fire and burning with brimstone forever. Folks, that ought to motivate us all the more to go out and preach the gospel to the lost and dying and believe it in our heart. Man, God, can you save someone? Can you convict someone of sin and of righteousness and judgment just like you had me? And so, and verse 21 concludes, it says, In the remnant we were slain with the sword, and of him that sat upon the horse, which, were, which, uh, which sword proceeded out of his mouth, and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. In other words, the battle has ended. None are spared. You hear what I'm saying? None are spared that would rise up against Righteousness. So, folks, we got a, a very uh, exciting time uh, when we look at chapter 19, but we see the devastation that it's going to end in for all those that reject the one who came as the King of Kings and of the Lord of Lords. And so, we got we got an opportunity now, if you're listening to us live, to tell people about Jesus and to begin to, to herald His coming. And you know, therefore, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. And so, when I look at this. Knowing the terror of the Lord that's going to befall them, it causes me to be more persuasive. It causes me to be more aggressive in the things that God has told me to do in regards to reaching those that are lost and dying. And I'm hoping the same thing is happening in your life. That you're saying to yourself, God, I don't want anyone to, to meet that type of fate. God, I've got to tell somebody about Jesus. And, you know, my heart shudders to think that there's those that have no urgency to tell anyone about the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and allow people to slip into this type of situation without any hope and without any help in their life. Folks, it should not be that way. Folks, we're out of time here today, but really I just, I really encourage you and really press in because this is our... Uh, this is the last bastion that, that, of, of hope that people have is this generation. I believe we're the generation that's going to see these things come to pass. We're going to be the generation that, uh, that are going to be the ones that Jesus spoke of. There will be some standing here that will not taste of death until they said the Son of Man coming with His angels in His glory. I believe that we're the ones that, that God is speaking of that we're going to be caught up out of this and have that blessed hope of, uh, of returning with Him in chapter 19. But there's many that do not have that opportunity. Let's do everything we can to open up that opportunity to them through the preaching of the Word. How will they know unless we preach? How can we preach unless we're sent? How can they hear without a preacher? You're that preacher. You're that teacher. You're that messenger of salvation that God is calling out from amongst the people. Folks, like I said, we're out of time uh, here today. We'll be back tomorrow uh, uh, heading right into the 20th chapter. Really some exciting, very, very descriptive things. You want to know what heaven's like and, and the way it looks and, and really what can be expected. We'll be talking about that in chapters 20, 21, and 22. Uh, in our in our studies we uh, continue on if you have questions send those to raven at biggrace.com raven at biggrace.com don't forget send your uh, prayer request to pray at biggrace.com and uh, be glad to try to answer any of those questions that you might have folks I got one bit of advice for you today as we close out get into God's word and God's word will get into you